Baptism is considered the first sacrament of initiation. It is the beginning of a journey that lays the foundation for the Catholic faith. There are many symbols and signs of baptism, like the cross, a white garment, and water. The pouring of water on a child's head represents cleansing and purification. Olivier Lejeune was baptized. Parents usually choose to baptize their children, but that wasn't the case here. Thanks to the instructions found in the Code Noir, the instruction manual for New France, a black boy, later named Olivier Lejeune, was baptized as a Catholic in 1633. Welcome to another episode of Uh-Oh, Did You Know? podcast. In today's episode, I will be talking about faith and the role of religion in the time of slavery. Um, slavery was introduced by the French and um, began primarily with the enslavement of indigenous people who were here um, in, um, in what we now call Canada. New France, the French colony, founded in the 16th century, covered a large body of land that started at the Gulf of the St. Lawrence and went down to Louisiana. So to look at slavery, I think it's essential to go back in time and understand a little bit of the history of New France. You know, just to get a complete picture of what the conditions were like and who the people were. I spoke to New France historian Yves Frenette. Okay, so the St. Lawrence Valley, I mean, it was discovered, but we know that there were people who lived there, but yes. for the Europeans, by uh, Jean Cartier uh, in 1534. It was a, he did three trips uh, exploring the area. Then there was no uh, no Europeans coming for about uh, 75 years, more than that even. And in 1608, Quebec City was founded by, uh, by a man named Champlain. Champlain. And uh, he was also an explorer, but he was at the same time that he was working for the story, the story of New France and New England and, and the American colonies is a story of conflict and warfare. Uh, New France was conquered in uh, in 17 uh, in in uh, in 16 in the 1620s 1628. In fact, it was there was a treaty. It was given back to France in 1632. And throughout the 17th century, there were there were there were several wars because war uh, for the control of Europe and the control. I would say of the uh, of also of North America, France and England, and Spain and Portugal. But Spain and Portugal was kind of pushed aside, and 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 the main opponents were France and uh, France and England. They would fight in India also. So basically, they they were uh, enemies, and the wars that they launched 
uh, had an impact on on uh, North America. I wanted to know the inner workings of central New France. The heart of New France was uh, the heart of New France was Quebec. There were some French, French in Acadia, which is a, a small band, a small territory where the French were. And then they possessed most of what, is, all of what is today Ontario, what is today the Canadian prairies to the Rockies, and large parts of the United States, uh, except for... Uh, for the Atlantic coast. It was French possession, but we have to be careful. It doesn't mean that it was settled. Uh, west of Montreal, they were in southwest of Montreal. You had forts, you had, you had a few people, a few French people there uh, uh, who, were most, who were soldiers, who were uh, traders, who were missionaries too, and Catholic missionaries. But, you know, it was not settled. It's really Quebec and Acadia, and later on, Louisiana, that was settled, were settled also. So it was, a it was a vast empire. Marcel Trudel said at a very, uh, 60 years ago, use a term that is still used today. He says that, he said that New France was a giant, but a giant with uh, clay feet. So very, very fragile. In his book, Canada's Forgotten Slaves, Canadian historian Marcel Trudel discusses Le Code Noir, the Black Code, a 446-page document that provided a set of regulations and rules on managing enslaved Black people. Basically, a slavery rulebook for French colonizers. Unfortunately, there are no official records for Code Noir, New France, that could be found. However, the enslavers' compliance with the Code Noir rules and regulations confirms that the document was used in the region. For example, all enslaved people were required to be educated and baptized under the Catholic faith. I wanted to know more about the role of the Catholic religion in New France. In fact, Protestants are forbidden to come to New France. French Protestants and and some Protestants who came to New France. If you want, some Protestants came to New France, but they, they converted to to Catholicism. Uh, uh, the French the, the French kingdom is a Catholic kingdom. Uh, the king of France, like the king of Spain or the king of Portugal. Takes his, believes that he's taking his power. His power. God gave him this power, and uh, the Catholic factor is very important because uh, this is one of also of the reasons that that France came to North America to <coughs> to, to convert the indigenous people to Catholicism. So missionaries would go from Quebec City and from Montreal and uh, to go to the indigenous country. Most of the time, learn the indigenous languages. In fact, nowadays, uh, if you want to do research in indigenous languages, the first linguists were the missionaries because they needed to do that. They needed to do that for their, in order to be able to preach to the uh, the indigenous people. 
And what is interesting is that the policy, the French and Champlain thought that uh, the indigenous people would assimilate, that the indigenous people would, they were, they were considered to be savages, huh? so that they would see uh, the goodness of European civilization and that they would slowly, they would assimilate into French society, but it didn't happen. Sadly, we all see the devastating impact that the Catholic Church and residential school systems had on indigenous communities today. This country is still grappling with grief and anger in the wake of the discovery at the Kamloops Residential School. Well, we have breaking news tonight of another terrible finding. A Saskatchewan First Nation says it has found hundreds of unmarked graves at the site of another former residential school. I got uh, strapped, I got uh, you know, beaten up for speaking my own native tongue. I even had my tongue pulled out and pinched, you know. My strongest memory there is uh, when, when the little girl died beside me. She would have been, she must have been about six. I should say under the French that the first um, person who's recorded as being documented um, as being enslaved was a young black boy by the name, who was given the name Olivier Lejeune in 1628. Olivier Lejeune was six. It is unclear if he came from Guinea or Madagascar. Records show that Lejeune came to New France with Sir David Kirk. Kirk worked for King Charles I as a privateer and traitor whose mission was to raid the French, and he successfully overthrew the colonists. Kirk eventually sold Lejeune at the age of nine or ten to a clerk named Olivier Le Beif. His sale was recorded, uh, and there was, under the French, about a third of those who were enslaved were African, two-thirds were indigenous people. And under the British, that demographic shifted where it was primarily African people who were enslaved. Um, and we see the introduction of, uh, of um, you know, that's wider scale enslavement of black people in what we now call Ontario, um, which as you had mentioned, um, after 1790s, early 1790s was Upper Canada. Lou Beif eventually sold the enslaved person to Guillaume Couillard. Couillard sent the boy to study at a Jesuit missionary. Father Lejeune, the first Jesuit teacher in St. Lawrence Valley, was amused by Olivier and documented his baptism. Couillard's wife asked him, Olivier that is, if he wanted to be baptized and to become a Christian. Olivier said yes but he was worried. He asked if they were going to fillet him. For those of you who don't know, fillet means to peel the skin off. They laughed. He was even more confused and said, you say through baptism, I will become like you. I am black and you are white. And they continued to laugh.
Not only did blacks lose their freedom, they were also robbed of their religion. So I turned to Dr. Nelson, who explains that evaluating baptismal records helps historians recreate some of Canada's Black history. Another thing that comes up in Canada is baptismal records, and you find these around the Americas, across the Americas too. But here's the thing. Some people who don't know better want to assume that, oh, isn't this nice that they were baptizing the enslaved people? It's like, no, it's not nice. We have to understand that many of these enslaved people were trying to retain their African spiritual practices and were not Christians and did not want to be Christians. They were forcibly Christianized. So this is another um, type of violence that was visited on them. I never thought of it that way, but she was right. If you're Black in the diaspora, you know with some certainty that your ancestors were forcibly Christianized at a certain point, exactly. right? It wasn't a choice for them, right? And some, some of our ancestors were able to maintain parts of their African spirituality by cloaking it in Christianity. My ancestors, generations back, were robbed of their original faith. It was a lot of information to take in. I started to get that, you know, sinking feeling in my stomach and started to ask hard questions. Did they do this in the name of Jesus? Did they think they were winning souls? What does that mean about my faith today? I spoke to Lorianne Denny Bent, a stylist, Christian counselor, and life coach to get her thoughts. You know, so sometimes it's just really sad that people do things under the umbrella of Catholicism or Christianity, and then the whole faith gets looked at in a certain way based upon the decision of man. The thing is, have you ever read a scripture in the Bible and then it's like, wow, okay, then you, you stick, you hold on to that scripture, but then you're led to read a few scriptures above and a, a few scriptures below. You know, anything can be used to satisfy a person's ambitions. So you can take one verse out of the Bible and use it for your benefit or out of context in terms of the way that the person that wrote that book or the Bible intended it for. So this is the world that we live in. People manipulate things and use things for their own vain imaginations and for their own gain. You know, I feel that the Bible is up for interpretation, but it's also used in a way that is not positive, not just by white supremacists, by, by anyone that wants to take the word and twist it up to, to benefit themselves, you know? So it's, it would be interesting to see or to know, you know, what scriptures or what is the foundation of, of the, the Bible that they use to be able to advance their agenda. That was a good point. Anyone can cherry-pick parts of the Bible and twist it for their benefit. But there was something else. Trudell details that it wasn't only the upper class that enslaved people. Enslavers were merchants, traders, butchers, bakers, hotel keepers, bishops, priests, and nuns. Dr. Nelson was not surprised. A lot of, a lot of um, different uh, denominations of the Christian church had their hands bloody, if you can say that, by um, slavery, because they were pro-slavery advocates. So some um, denominations like the Quakers, especially in places like Philadelphia, 
became adamantly abolitionists or anti-slavery, but many, many denominations, um, they actually tried to mine the Bible for justifications of slavery, right? For different ways to justify slavery. So Christians fall on both sides uh, of the anti-slavery, pro-slavery divide throughout the period of slavery, depending on the denomination, the region you're looking at and the time frame. The more I learned about the church's role in slavery, the more conflicted it made me feel. I went to Natasha Henry for some answers. What you had talked about at the opening of our conversation around the role of the church in expanding, in instituting, in enslaving people. Right. Um, so there's the role of the church. And that looked a very particular way. Right. Um, then you're also asking about um, the spirituality and the faith of those who were enslaved. And those are these are two distinct things. They could obviously overlap in some sense, but these are two distinct things. So when you look at when you mentioned that um, enslaved people had to be um, uh, uh, baptized under Catholicism, it wasn't necessarily a view that they were um, viewed as equal Christians or equal Catholics. It was still the, um, you know, based on their beliefs, it was still the, the baptism of someone who was held as property. And their status as a Christian did not preclude them from being enslaved. And in fact, many churches then would go on to say that, it, you know, just because you are now a Christian and you're professing your Christian faith does not mean that you are free. The rite of baptism didn't change the condition of slavery for the enslaved. And somehow, the religion forced on us became a source of our strength. Thanks for listening to this episode. The music was by Christine Haldane, additional music by Luca Francini, Austin Dres, and Melodrama, with additional files from the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. In the next episode, I will look at media's role in the slave trade and the impact that we see today. I'm your host, Natasha Winter.